Section 17, First Paper of 20th Century Negro Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. 20th Century Negro Literature. Topic 17. First Paper by M. W. Gilbert, D.D. Did the American Negro prove in the 19th century that he is intellectually equal to the white man? The subject of this sketch was born July 25, 1862, at Mechanicsville, Sumter County, South Carolina. His parents were slaves, and his father, a Baptist minister, is still alive. Mr. Gilbert began his early school life during the Reconstruction period at Mechanicsville and continued it at Manville in an adjoining township until 1879 when he entered Benedict College, then Benedict Institute, at Columbia, South Carolina. He remained in Benedict till the spring of 1883, when he graduated from a classical course specially designed to fit him for a northern college. In the fall of 1883, after a searching examination, he entered the freshman class of Colgate University and remained in that institution four years until his graduation in 1887 with the degree of A.B., during his college course, Mr. Gilbert particularly distinguished himself in the languages and oratory. During his sophomore year, he won in an oratorical contest the first Kingsford Prize. Although the only colored man in his class, yet he was so highly esteemed by his classmates that he enjoyed the unique distinction of being elected every three months for four years as class secretary and treasurer. In addition to this, he was elected class historian in his senior year. His alma mater conferred on him the degree of A.M. in 1890. Immediately after his graduation, Mr. Gilbert was called to the pastorate of the First Colored Baptist Church at Nashville, Tennessee. He remained in this position three years and a half, and then he accepted the call of the Bethel Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida. He was not permitted by his denomination to remain long in this pastorate, for after one year in it, on the nomination of the American Baptist Home Mission Society of New York, he was elected to lead in the educational work among the colored Baptists of Florida. He presided one year over the Florida Institute at Live Oak, and he led in 1892 in the founding of the Florida Baptist Academy, now college, at Jacksonville, Florida. The cares and anxiety involved in this work threatened his health, and in 1894 he resigned this position to accept the pastorate of a young church organization in Savannah, Georgia, 
having in the meantime declined an election to the presidency of State University at Louisville, Kentucky. In 1894, he was elected vice president and professor of history, political science, and modern languages in the Colored State College at Orangeburg, South Carolina. He served in this capacity two years, and after re-election for a third year, he resigned to re-enter upon his life work in the gospel ministry. He served a few months after this in the office of general missionary and corresponding secretary of the Baptist State Convention of South Carolina. But this work, militating against his health, he gave up to enter upon the pastorate of the Central Baptist Church at Charleston, South Carolina, where he now is. Mr. Gilbert received three years ago the degree of D.D. from Guadalupe College of Seguin, Texas. In 1883, Dr. Gilbert was married in Columbia, South Carolina, to Miss Agnes Boozer. Seven children have been born to them, five of whom are still living. Dr. Gilbert is much in demand as a public speaker on great occasions, and his services are frequently sought by some of the best churches of his denomination. The necessity for asserting and maintaining the affirmative of the above question is due to the deep-seated prejudice against the Negro, which prejudice is the unfortunate fruit of the Negro's past enslavement. It is not surprising that those who for centuries held the Negro as a chattel should regard him as being essentially inferior to themselves, and time is required in the changed condition of affairs to completely eradicate this idea. Even now, despite the remarkable development of the Negro since his emancipation, occasionally some Rip Van Winkle, awakening from a long sleep, essays to deny the complete humanity of the Negro race. A true believer in the scriptures must be equally a believer in the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of all men. For the divine record declares that God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. Language, physiology, and psychology confirm the truthfulness of Scripture on this issue. The mission of Christianity to preach the gospel over the inhabited world is based upon this great idea. Science and holy writ assert the intellectual equality of all men of whatever race or color, so far as real capacity and possibilities are concerned. The position and relative importance of a race or nation in the world's history are determined more by its antecedents and environments than by the original endowments of each individual that constitutes it. Two different races, having the same antecedents and subject to the same environments, will produce the same results. 
in answering the question as to whether the negro has demonstrated his intellectual equality with the white man during the century just closed our inquiry must necessarily be confined to the closing third of that century for prior to the emancipation of the race the colored people were generally in an enslaved condition opportunities for education citizenship and the development of manhood were few and at best could apply to but few of the race although our inquiry is limited to only one-third of the century just closed nevertheless we can safely assert that in that short period the negro has demonstrated by actual results his intellectual equality with the white man one the negro has demonstrated in thirty-five years a capacity for education equal to that of the white man this remark does not apply alone to his primary education but also to the highest he has entered already every intellectual field that is open to him and he is achieving success in every one that he has entered within a third of a century one hundred and fifty-six institutions for the higher education of the negroes have been founded and from these and northern colleges there have been more than seventeen thousand graduates these colleges are located chiefly in the south and their courses of studies are as high as their neighboring white colleges in some instances they are higher some of these graduates have evinced great ability and brilliancy in mastering the most difficult studies included in the curriculum the existence of negro colleges and the successful graduation of negroes therefrom is a strong argument for his intellectual equality nor has the negro simply demonstrated his ability to master the literary courses of the college but also his capacity to acquire the knowledge and training to fit him for life in the various professions within a third of a century the race has produced thirty thousand teachers five hundred physicians two hundred and fifty lawyers and a large number of others who have entered the ministry politics and editorial life if there is doubt on the demonstration of the negro's ability to acquire education in his own colleges we need only to mention the fact that his ambition has led him to some of the leading northern universities where he studied at the side of white men and even there he has demonstrated his essential intellectual equality with the white man by winning in several well-known instances some of their highest honors for scholarship proficiency and oratory two the negro has demonstrated his capacity for imparting an education to others after he has himself received it he is an essential and established factor in the public school system of the south it is he that is entrusted with the primary education of his people and it is due largely to him that his people in thirty-five years have reduced their illiteracy forty-five per cent during those thirty-five years he has become professor of law 
medicine, theology, mathematics, the sciences, and languages. In the colleges devoted to the education of the colored men, there are colored professors who have become eminent in their departments and who would fill with credit similar chairs in white institutions of learning. All of the colored state colleges of the South are under the management of Negroes as presidents and professors. 3. The Negro has also demonstrated his productivity in the field of authorship. In this particular, he has shown a white man's capacity. In calling attention to the Negro's achievement in this particular, it may be well to note the fact that the Negro's white neighbor, although he lives in a clime similar to that which produced in Greece philosophers like Plato and Aristotle and poets like Homer, Euripides, and Sophocles, and in Italy poets like Virgil and Horace, has not produced a philosopher or a first-class poet with all the leisure he enjoyed while the Negro has been engaged in enforced labor for him. In the highest field of thought, as in philosophy and the works of imagination, the South presents a barren field. In the sphere of authorship usually entered by white men, the Negro has already worked his way. He has already produced meritorious books on mathematics, sociology, theology, history, poetry, travels, sermons, languages, and biographies. There have been 300 books written by Negroes. 4. Nor has the Negro's mind followed slavishly in the beaten path of imitation. He has demonstrated that he possesses also a high order of intellect by his inventive genius. The lubricator, now being used on nearly all the railroad engines in the United States, was invented by a colored man, Mr. E. McCoy of Detroit, Michigan. Eugene Birkins, a Negro, was inventor of the Birkins automatic machine gun, concerning which Admiral Dewey said it was by far the best machine gun ever made. Many other useful inventions in the country are credited by the patent office to the Negro. 5. The Negro has also demonstrated in 35 years his capacity for organizing, controlling, and directing great and diversified interests. Capacity to organize, maintain, and direct presupposes a high order of mind. Executive ability requires accompanying intellectual ability and not mere brilliancy. Unaided and alone, the Negro has set on foot great ecclesiastical organizations which he is maintaining and developing with much credit to himself. In all these organizations, leadership to the few has been cheerfully conceded by the masses. As a church builder, with little means at his command, the Negro stands without a peer. Within the last thirty-five years of the nineteenth century, 
the Negro has founded high schools, academies, and colleges, and he is successfully supporting and managing them. If it is fair to estimate the ability and worth of men by real achievements, then it must be conceded that the foremost man for real ability throughout the entire South is a Negro, and we refer to the eminent founder and developer of the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. It is unquestionable in our mind that the greatest enterprise conceived and executed by any one mind in the entire South during the past forty years was that conceived in the brains of a single Negro, the child of a slave mother that resulted in the world-renowned Tuskegee Institute. The results at Tuskegee will demonstrate that the highest order of mind in the South, as well as the most famous, is in the keeping of the Negro. The leading Presbyterian institution of learning in the South for the education of colored men is now managed successfully by Negro scholars. We refer here to Biddle University. 6. In business and politics, the Negro, despite the odds arrayed against him, is succeeding reasonably well. He is constantly undertaking new business enterprises, and wherever the government or state has entrusted him with official position, the intelligent Negro has discharged his public functions with credit to the government and glory for himself. Whenever failure is recorded against the Negro, it is not due to his lacking the mental endowments equal to that of the white man, but because he was denied the white man's favorable past, and because a white man's opportunity is denied him. Equality of opportunities and equality before the laws should be cheerfully granted him. Criticism against him is savage and unchristian if these doors are closed against him. End of Topic 17 First Paper